This is Journeymen, Craftswomen, Artists and Voyagers, a six-part podcast series celebrating the cultural life of a city, the Potteries, Stoke-on-Trent, as part of the Under One Roof Project, supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. My name is Kath Ralph, and I'm a local, a potter, a musician and a heritage professional. And with wonderful guests, we're going to guide you through our city's history through tales and tunes. Welcome to the fourth in the podcast series. And I'm still on this mission to uncover the city's heritage and culture, literally from beneath the ground up. And the means by which I've tried to interpret this has been to look at the effect of its ancient geological features, the treasures from underground, I've been calling it, with a number of guests who have an insight, interests and a personal story that links closely to that phenomenon. Alongside this, I've weaved in songs and poetry, written and performed by a number of other guests who I hope you've enjoyed meeting along the way. These as other creative ways to express the local culture and inform on one of the city's greatest treasures of all, and that's its people. Today's guest is someone who works in another creative medium. I'm joined by Deb McAndrew, who's an award-winning playwright, who came to the city some 25 years ago with partner Conrad Nelson, the two of them at the time, theatre practitioners, actors, at times musicians and composers, as is the nature of the work, who saw the advantages of being right here in the heart of the UK. Our podcast is partly about how this city influenced Deb's work and prompted the innovation and inspiration to create a new company called Claybody Theatre that sought to tell those unique local stories through performance in ways that have become part of the fabric of the city and its cultural offer. But in addition, I'm taking this opportunity to reflect on one particular story, and that is the Women Against Pit Closures and the North Staffordshire Miners' Wives Action Group, formed in 1984, with the aim of supporting their partners and fathers, brothers who are miners out on strike, as well as families, children and each other, in the financial hardships that were born of the national effort seen as a battle for many with the government of the day. But while that was the original objective of the group, it by no means ended there. And I think you get a sense of that from this speech that I'm about to play, given at the King's Hall in Stoke-on-Trent, which is the main municipal hall in the city. It was given by an incredible woman, who became known to many of us thereafter, as an inspiring political figure, a symbol of working-class feminism, Brenda Proctor. There are now ten food centres in the North Stacks coalfields set up by the efforts of miners' wives and others. This organisation shows quite clearly we are willing to support the miners in their struggle and able to organise efficiently to fight as one with the miners to gain victory in this dispute. (coughs) Women are usually shown in the media as good little housekeepers, urging their wayward menfolk back to work on the boss's terms. They have not had this opportunity this time, nor will we give it to them. So let's tell some of these stories then. Debs, Brenda's, the North Staffordshire Miners' Wives Action Group. I'm going to start with their voices in song. So as they were founded, this is Bridget Bell, Rose Hunter, Doreen Mason, Hilary McLaren, Brenda Proctor, Debbie Patton, Maureen Rowley and Dina Tuck. And this is a recording from the Staffordshire Film Archive of No Going Back. The world is turning, changing with the seasons of the year. 
Flowers grow where once the earth was cold and bare. Streams feed the rivers, rivers feed the sea, and the strength of my friends will feed the change in me, for there is no going back. We're too deep in it now, no going back. We're different women, after all we've seen and done. We were the world's divided, and we have made our choice. We have fought a battle, and we found a voice, and there is no going back. We're too deep in it now, no, no going back. There is no limit now, no, no going back. It's harder for a woman when she tries to say that she doesn't think the kitchen sink is where she'll stay because there's no going back. We're too deep in it now. No, no going back. There is no limit now. No, no going back. We struggle well now. No, no going back. Some families deny it. Some families understand that a woman's rights are equal to the rights of man. So if you call me sister when I join the picket line, better be there with me, brother, when I fight for mine. Because there's no going back, we're too deep in it now. No, no going back. There is no limit now. No, no going back. We now. No, no going back. Alone I'm going nowhere. We'll face the bitter future and the storm will rise. We'll finish what we started, go on as we begin. We're only chains to lose and all the world to win. Because there's no going back, we're too deep in it now. No, no going back. Deb, it's great to have you here today, and I have so much I want to talk to you about, but I always start with everybody's Stoke story. So tell us yours. My Stoke story, I suppose my Stoke story starts with the New Vic Theatre when I was touring here before I ever lived here, um, and that is really the nub of my Stoke story because, of course, the New Vic Theatre isn't in Stoke. But we always called it the New Vic Stoke, but technically it's in Newcastle-under-Lyme. And that's where I've lived for the last 20 years, in Newcastle-under-Lyme. We moved here when our daughter was really little. We were living in London and needed to get back up more central north. My husband, Conrad, was touring. And while he was touring, every week we would look at where he was touring to and think, could we live there? Would that make more sense than southeast London, Peckham, which was really hard to get back to when you were touring the rest of the country? And I wanted to get a little bit nearer to my family in Yorkshire, where my, my mum and dad were living and my sisters. Um, and Con's family at that time, his mum and dad were on the Wirral. So Stoke kind of was... And we just fell in love with this house and we had toured here um with the show uh, previously. The previous year we'd come with Much Ado About Nothing with Northern Broadsides and Con was here with King John and the Merry Wives with Northern Broadsides um, when our daughter was born and so we saw this house and, you know, we ended up buying it <laughs> and selling our house in London and moving. It, we sold our house in five days, you know. It was We thought we'd never get it. And so that was, yeah, that was really um, the start of my journey and I knew a little bit about Stoke and even less about Newcastle under Lyme. Um, 
and gradually came to understand the distinction between those places and not just the distinction between those two places but actually the distinctions within Stoke-on-Trent itself and the six towns and the heritage and the history and um, we are mad on ceramics and we've got a large collection, Conrad particularly, um, just loves ceramics, collects burly ware from the 1930s. The house is full of it. Um, and uh, I love a bit of burly. Yeah, me. it's beautiful. In my description earlier on, I describe you as um, an actor, a playwright, a musician. I know you as a musician as well. Um, uh, and a beekeeper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, these are all things you do here. Tell me a bit more about that and your work. Generally, as a person... Um, uh, this this sounds a bit rude, but one, one of my nicknames at school that the that the older boys in the sixth form used to call me was Debbie Do It All, and this was not a rude name. It was <laughs> it was a name because I was interested and I was into everything. There was something going on, some club or some happening. I was interested in it, and um, uh, that's just the way I've always been. And so, it, and I'm also very bad at saying no as well that's the other thing so when somebody asks me to do something I usually say yes just because I I don't know it's a, it's a freelance thing I think but I actually think it's in my psyche anyway to just go oh yeah well don't take the meeting they need just it. don't say no yeah. if somebody asks you to do something so I, I tend not to push myself forward never have done really but actually I tend to get asked quite a lot and especially now with having a bit of profile and all the things because I ended up in Corrie when I was you know young and that when I uh talk within this podcast and uh, introduce it at the very beginning I talk about it from in terms of why why any of it I talk about the geology and I talk about these two Mm -hmm. seams I know there are more than that (laughs) I don't want any geologists like um you know texting me about this or anything Mm -hmm. but I talk about these seams talk about the coal seam and I talk about the clay seam but Mm -hmm. actually there is another rich seam for someone like you in this city and that's this sort of as you said the social history and the stories of the people now um I know, obviously, I've got some background in some of the things that you've done while here, but one of the big things to me is establishing an organisation called Claybody Theatre. And Claybody deals very much in that rich theme, doesn't it? Claybody was a sort of um, an accidental theatre company, really, because um, after living here for 10 years and becoming very fascinated by Stoke-on-Trent and... Um, uh, in its complexities, um, I wrote a play called Ugly Duck, and I, of course, because it was a play about Stoke and about a Stokey bloke, couldn't get anybody interested in project- producing it. Um, and the planets lined up, and a number of very supportive friends and um, uh, and other artists said, "Well, if you can get funding, let's do it, and let's do it um, here in a non-theatre space in in the Potteries." It was a wonderful play, that first play and the subsequent ones. So, you know, tell me a bit more about th- those and those themes and, and essentially also about, I suppose, how Stoke people reacted to those. Well, it's I, it's a bit, it can be a bit of a risk when you are not, when you don't belong to a community or they're a community that feel often that they're represented in a very negative way, you know. Imperfect, I mean, imperfections and conflicts are what make drama and they're what make humans. But I don't write those things with judgment or um, or criticism. I just write them with understanding, I hope. And when I started to write Ugly Duck in around the 2010, 2011, 
there was BNP councillors on the council of Stoke-on-Trent and I didn't want to judge that, I wanted to understand it. Yeah, and um, it was a big thing, it was. And so that was, you know, that was a thing. And by 2013, actually, they weren't there um, when we produced the play and Claybody Theatre was born. And actually something much bigger than those ideas came out of that, which was just to do with offering the people, the working class community of Stoke-on-Trent, stories about themselves that were... Uh, of the highest quality that we could make. Yeah. I wasn't trying to make a contribution, by the way. I wasn't having some big thing about that. No. But it was simply that. It was something that I saw. It was an aspect, wasn't it? It was something that I saw in the city at that point. It was happening in the city. And since then, you know, I've looked at lots of other aspects of Stoke-on-Trent culture from, you know, air pollution Mm. and and, uh, public health to um, that amazing... um, psychological, um, socio-cultural borderline called the A500. Yes. Um, which um, yes. represents so much in, in the city in terms of where it sits in the social, economic um, and cultural life of the city. It's much more than just a road. The fascination for me was always that um, at one side of the... Um, you know, on the castle side mm. of tape down and whatnot, you can dig coal up out the ground yourself if you want. Mm. You just need a little spade. I'll mm. do it. Some places it's, it's just lying on the ground. Mm. Within a mile, it's not quite the deepest pit in the UK there in no. Stanton, but it's one of the biggest, yeah. isn't it? It's not Cap House, but mm. it's not far off, is it? Mm. You have done quite a bit of work when commissioned and sort of in response to Heritage Matters. And one of those moments for me was when you produced, you know, I, can't, I couldn't dig out the date. Dig out the date. Uh, it was 2015. Too. In 2015, um, called Digging In. Um, and that was a commission, as I understand it, from the most awesome North Staff's Miners' Wives Action Group. It was my huge privilege to work with the North Staffordshire Miners' Wives on this project. I have to say it's one of the um, most extraordinary and, and privileged jobs of my time here in Stoke-on-Trent to have that sort of um, that sort of relationship and and connection to um, the great working class women of Stoke-on-Trent really. Yeah. Um, it Makes pre- you want to cry when you say it. Yeah, particularly, really yeah, <laughs> particularly uh, the person of Brenda Proctor mm. who was the uh, who basically founded the North Staffordshire Miners Wives and it, it ended up becoming the chair of the, women, the National Women Against Pit Closures. Um, Brenda Proctor was the most authentic working class powerhouse I've ever met I mean she was absolutely remarkable woman sadly passed away in Mm -hmm. 2017 um uh, but I was I just felt very honored to have known her um I met her in 20 in uh 2014 actually because um she and the council and other partners were looking for uh the creation through heritage lottery of a sort of collection of stuff that would commemorate the strike 30 years since the strike of 1984-85 and uh, this what brought me on board because at another point in Brenda's career, she'd occupied Trenton Pitt <laughs> in uh, in sort of um, when when Trenton Pitt, which was an amalgamation of uh, Florence yeah. and Hem Heath, mm-hmm. um, to get this kind of super pit. Those um, are my pits. It was my family's pits over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah Florence yeah. Club, especially. Yeah. So it was when when um, the announcement was made by Hesseltine, I think, in about ninety two, that the these were the pits that were going to close. Hemheath was, um, Trenton was on it. And 
um, a number of North Staffordshire miners' wives took their camp, just like you see in in Brastoff. You know, they had their camp at mm-hmm. the pits at the pit gates uh, to to save the pits. And she ended up with another two women, uh, Bridget Bell and Gina Earl, I think it was. They went down and they and they occupied the pit. Um, um, uh, woman called Rose Hunter was their kind of oppo on the surface. Um, in fact, Brenda fell and broke her nose while, or some, no, something fell on her, and uh, so there was she was injured, and Gosh. oh, there was all, and they, they were trying to get food down to them, and they planned to not. Obviously, they weren't going to stay down there. For it was a statement. It was a, you know, it, it, it was a protest, and they came out, and Arthur Scargill came to fetch them and escorted them. Mm. out as they came out triumphant but also there when they came up was Peter Cheeseman Peter Cheeseman built the new Vic Theatre basically yeah. The, yeah. He, he had the, 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 the Vic Theatre the Victoria Theatre that was at Hearts Hill which was an, a converted cinema was where he started and then he got the new Vic built uh, and he was very very famous for these um, sort of fantastic um, documentaries, really documentary plays. He was one of the first exponents, really, of documentary plays, um, which he put together. He did he did one called I think Minor Dig the Coal was one of the early ones. But then he did one about Shelton Bar, the steelworks, the fact called the fight for Shelton Bar. He did another one about the Knotty, the the, the railway uh, line in in uh, in North Staffordshire, um, and uh, he was there with a tape recorder as Brenda and the girls emerged from the pit to say, right, I want to interview you, I want to make a play about you. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they did a play called Nice Girls, which was put on at the New Vic Theatre um, shortly after that. Amazing. And Brendan was extremely proud of this and it yeah. was a very uh, powerful and sympathetic piece about their campaigning and about their what mattered to them, which were the pits. Um, and... In the first instance, I was approached to remount that play. Right. And I looked at it and I said, OK, this is great, but you want to commemorate the strike, which was actually about eight years earlier than this. Yeah. So why do you want to do this play as opposed to something about the strike? And that set off a conversation about actually interrogating what they wanted to achieve. Mm -hmm. And what Brenda was really keen to achieve was that that the experience of the strike was passed on to another generation of young people who didn't know it. So I said, right, then in that case, let's do a new play and let's interview people who were kids during the strike and let's make that play not a documentary play, but completely inspired by those stories. And let's put it on for kids in a former Staffordshire Coalfield primary schools. Yeah, because so, it toured schools, didn't it? So yeah. it toured schools. Yeah. And we went into schools which were right on where the pits were. Silverdale, yeah. Florence, up there. We went um, to near Chatterley Whitfield. We went where, you know, where the, the big mining communities were, Western Coiney. And we put the play on in the schools so that children who you know, up to 11 years old who didn't know anything about mining and because and, it's long gone, um, could see what it was like in 1984 to be a child of a mining family on strike in Stoke-on-Trent. Almost every word in the play had been said to me in Amazing. some form. Um, I only invented one thing uh, that was in the play, which was um, the, the way the play worked. There were two actors, two actor musicians who played all the parts. So they played the children of a family. So a teenage girl who goes on a slightly different journey to her little brother, who kind of eats samosas for the first time because the Sikh community in Fenton took 
food up to the um, to the miners, and he has an exciting time. They go on holiday to France um, uh, because the French farmers were very supportive of the miners. So I got all these lovely stories, and but I made up a sort of every family. So they played these two actors. They played brother and sister, and then they played mum and dad, and they also played the best mate. Of the other, so it meant that the actress who played the daughter also played little boy who lived next door, and the actor who played the little boy and also played the dad also played the girlfriend of his sister. Um, and the only thing I sort of made up was when the girlfriend of the sister wanted her to take money out of the miners' collecting bucket so they could go to the pictures. And it was a sort of point when the character of Mandy the sort of grows up really in a way, and she realizes that the support isn't always there, and that people don't understand what that bucket meant and what it means to the families that they were helping there was stuff about packing you know food parcels and all the things that that went on to support families that were absolutely on their uppers you know they were they were really really poor during this time you yeah. know they, they they were struggling yeah they didn't um, have anything no they didn't have anything and well i mean uh, partly the um the north staff's minors wives action group i, I read a really interesting article it was published by the guardian in 2014 not long ago and it and it was with brenda actually mm. brenda proctor and and what brenda says in this article is um you know we started in order to um support with the hardships mm. as in feed people yeah literally feed the families mm. but of course very quickly it became much much more than that but those hardships were real and true mm. you know and they I, were. from mm. my childhood although um it was my grandfathers who were minors not my father so it was um so although we were very involved in the strike and very mm. you know and the passion was there mm. within the family those hardships weren't met firsthand in mm. that way but of course we knew lots and lots of families who they were and so yeah that was real that stuff was real you yeah. can't sort of imagine it in the same way no. now although i don't know you can, probably can actually with food banks and whatnot yeah, yeah. it was just like a deta- they were the food banks yeah essentially weren't they and then much much more very political yeah and it's interesting that i think it's an oversimplification oversimplification to say that you know women were sort of stay-at-home wives and that the strike politicized them i think that's oversimplification i think it was much more complicated than that but that is certainly true that it accelerated that for many of them um you know there's a there's a famous quote i can't remember it's a is it a south african a south american archbishop says when i give the poor food they call me a saint and when i ask why i ha- the poor have no food they call me a communist you know and and i think that to some extent that's what the experience was if you said of progressing from going feed these kids to the system's wrong. Why am I having to feed these kids? Something, you know, and and you make that leap then when you when you Marcus Rashford is doing it now, really. Yeah. You know, he's feeding children, but then he's going. But this is a bigger thing than yeah. just you know putting a tin of baked beans in a food bank. Um, Absolutely, it, it's much more than that. So that was definitely what happened during the strike. And Brenda, to Brenda particularly, I think she absolutely blossomed yeah. as a as as a leader and as a um uh, and as an intellectual and a political thinker really yes um, absolutely. at that time um my mother my mother held her in awe and i could read it straight away you know the moment she the moment i met her really it was it was really interesting i also know that of course you as you said brenda passed away um not long ago now i think it was a couple of years maybe I think it was 2017 yeah okay mm. but actually she was there when you um when 
when this play she was oh, there yes, during absolutely, that absolutely yeah and um, i remember um, how you know she and i think she was incredibly proud of the work that you did she was i, I was yeah I, I mean i'm not saying like she was no no she was yeah thrilled. you're saying she, she was because she was she was <laughs> thrilled with it because i think she felt and and others as well rose was there um as well um and saw the play and you know and they did say to me afterwards we felt like you understood and that you felt you've we've our story's been told you know with um with dignity and humor and yeah. and truth mm. you know um and so, you know that was my job um, sure. but it was also my own personal you know i was very sympathetic for many of many people particularly if you just come from a certain kind of background eventually um you know, you just feel my, my my daughter just says to me every time, "Oh, you've just it's just minors in it. Minors make you cry," <laughs> and and there is something yeah, about. They do, they make you cry. I yeah. think they because they they absolutely epitomise the working class struggle. Yeah. Because their lives are so hard, so dangerous, um, and dirty, and when they're underground. D- deep underground with in such dangerous situations. I mean, it's such a moving... You think of those human beings in, in underground. I mean, that's why the stories of miners trapped in other mines across the world. We always hear those stories because there's something about it. It's like all our worst fears, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they are, they are the engine that drives that industrial... You know that you know it's. You could argue very easily that Stoke on Trent isn't built on clay; it's built on coal. Mm. Because ultimately, when the real revolution happened in the 18th century with Wedgwood, he started to import the clay. Yeah, but he stayed with the coal. Sure, you know because the coal was so good, mm. so plentiful, such high quality, mm. such high grade coal. That that's the hard thing to transport. Clay's light and easier to transport compared to coal. Um, so that's what you do. You sit on your fuel source and you and you build whatever you need there. And you send them folks down to get it out. Yeah, you? and then you send human beings down to to dig it out. Mm-hmm. And um, it is it, there's something about miners. Yeah, it's just yeah, very moving. Is. I yeah. think um, that um, Brenda and the appreciation of the North Staffs uh, miners' wives. Um, group when you did that was and the things that they said which is we felt understood I felt understood I watched it so I would agree so I and their thanks I know that they were very grateful to you for doing it um, and I'm and I'm also grateful for you to come and tell me about it today so thank you very thank much you. for our for our conversation my pleasure finally another response in song this time from the podcast team as is the custom I chose this bluegrass sort of coal miners blues it's called made popular by the carter family in the mid 70s but the origins were more of a traditional miner song in the way that it was passed to them through the oral tradition by someone unknown singing it today is deb mccandrew yay we've kept her ava ralph and myself guitars lap steel from scott ralph and a bit of fiddle from me but before i do I wanted to share a last piece of audio. It's footage again from the Staffordshire Film Archive and it's Scargill's speech during the dispute where he pays tribute to the women in the miners' strike, followed directly by Rose Hunter of the North Staff's Miners' Wives on the Trent and Pitt occupation, 1993. Because of that dispute, we saw the birth of the magnificent women's support groups The women's support groups have not gone away. They're here, they're fighting, 
not only for the mining industry, but they're fighting against inequality, injustice, wherever it raises its ugly head. We stood side by side with our lads then, and we'll do the same again now. All the miners' wives, all the women in this audience, join together to keep this fight to save this pit open. And if we'd have just said, oh, isn't it a shame Trenton's going to close and, well, what can we do? We haven't really got a voice and just went away. That would have been to lose, but, you know, actually getting stuck in, getting down there with a the caravan, putting, you know, doing the occupation, we, we fought them all the way and we're still fighting and that's something we'll, we'll always do. <laughs> Journeymen, craftswomen, artists and voyagers. A six-part podcast series celebrating the cultural life of a city, the Potteries, Stoke-on-Trent, as part of the Under One Roof Project, supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Please stay with us and stream or download the series, which will be put up on our site every month. And follow us on social media on the handle Under One Roof PR1.